0: My task today is to make a case for confessionalism. However, the theme of the conference is about a biblical church. So I will lay some foundation. First, by showing the enduring nature of the word of God. And then, by way of application, I will make a case for confessionalism. Let's read the holy text together. I've chosen Matthew chapter 5. Verses 17 to 20, New King James. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, together. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one job or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. For whoever does and teaches them he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Okay. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of okay. heaven. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, open our eyes. Change us. Conform us to the image of your dear son Jesus is whom they may pray. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen most of what is communicated to us on a daily basis is dated information dated it will soon expire in its usefulness (laughs) more and more we are finding that the shelf life for the information that we consume every day is getting shorter and shorter (laughs) however, this is not the case according to this holy text with the word of God The Bible in our hands or on our electrical uh, devices is a treasure that we should cherish. It is never outdated. Its relevance is immeasurably compelling in each and every generation. Now, it is possible that we have been underestimating the power and potential of the Bible in our hands. Have we been ignorantly and hopelessly searching through life for for what is right before us in the pages of Holy Scripture? Is it time for us to have a second look at the enduring and redemptive resource that is the written Word of God? What we have in this Holy Text is one of the teachings of our Lord Jesus that is very difficult to understand or to accept or, or both some people are actually disappointed in in the Lord's apparent ungracious and apparently unloving words (laughs) His words promise sure doom for those who ignore the word of God or who fail to do better than the religious establishment the religious elite of ancient Israel, the Pharisees many if the Lord is contradicting or is inconsistent with his statements about the grace and mercy of God What is the meaning of these apparently threatening words? You know, this fascinating passage of scripture manages to teach us about the Bible itself and its enduring nature. Among other things, among other things, it teaches us that the scripture is enduring and will stand the test of time because of the following. One, the Christological character of scripture, two, the convincing credibility of scripture. And three, the conversion commanded by Scripture. Let's study them in order. Number one, the Christological character of Scripture. Look at verse 18. I mean 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Okay. Our Lord's statement here was quite controversial. There was and his new information in his his statement concerning his purpose and mission. This was something that the Pharisees did not agree with at all. Our Lord was referring to the word of God in general, but to the Old Testament in particular. He was essentially saying that, listen, everything in the Old Testament is actually about him. And that the meaning of the text will be missed if, if it is not read within a crystal centric paradigm. Wow! Just imagine that. He got up in front of these scholars of the law and said, Let me tell you something. Everything you're reading here is about me. Yeah. <laughs> what is this for me, Dad? <laughs> The problem is in that people miss the point of scripture because they are reading it in a paradigm that has expired. Oh they are taking upon themselves requirements and obligations that are really none of their business. They are reading someone else's mail as if it were addressed to them course it is obvious that we can all learn something from reading another person's mail but this is only if we are focused on gleaning abiding principles and not on foolishly mimicking the particulars of another person's unique experience learning life's principles can yield real growth while mindless meddling is only drama do you know what the word fulfill means? the word fulfill right there it literally means that something is being completed or accomplished this thing may not have been defective in any way it just had not been brought to fruition Mm -hmm. our Lord had always maintained that the the, the law is good and holy he's not criticizing the law in any way he showed up to complete it. He showed up <laughs> to show that its purpose was the glorious revelation of himself as God incarnate. Amen. So, we need to be abundantly clear. When our Lord Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law, his mission was not to confirm it. His mission was to complete it, to accomplish it, to fulfill it. All of Scripture Whether the Old Testament or the New Testament All of scripture was written for the edification of true believers However, Christ has changed our reading of the same We no longer see an obligation to observe the ceremonial laws on cleanliness Why? For it is in Christ that we make clean Oh come on now (laughs) We are not interested in the animal sacrifices anymore Why? the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ was the once for all sacrifice to propitiate the wrath of God towards us now this does not mean that the Old Testament is completely abrogated and of no value and of no importance in fact the Old Testament cannot be laid aside cannot be it still counts and we are compelled to listen to it There are lessons and principles there that will abide for eternity. The Old Testament text is not obsolete, but it cannot be read in the same manner that it was read before the first advent of Christ. Where is the balance to be found? Where is it? Well, listen. We will not grasp the Old Testament without seeing that it is about Christ. And we cannot understand Christ without appreciating the details of the Old Testament. Amen. you didn't hear me i said we cannot grasp the old testament without seeing that it is about christ and we cannot understand christ without appreciating the details of the old testament christ will not make sense if we know nothing of the priests and the kings and the prophets and the temples and the tabernacle and the sacrifices on the other hand we will never understand the old Testament unless we see that absolutely everything there is to explain that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone it's all about Christ the point of every Old Testament story the point of every Old Testament regulation the point of every Old Testament ceremony is Christ in fact there are no Old Testament details that are without meaning no, no, no every prophet was called to show us the ultimate prophet the one who brings us the ultimate truth which is the gospel every priest was called to point us to the ultimate priest who brings all true believers into an abiding intimacy with God every king was appointed to show us the ultimate king who rules and provides for the needs of the people of God completely so when we read of Jonah there is a greater Jonah When we read of Moses, there is a greater Moses. When we read of David, there is a greater David. For it is all about Christ. (laughs) You know, this is actually very simple, you know. This is the sequence of all the Old Testament stories, characters, institutions and practices. A, B, C, D. A, foreshadowing. Hmm? Foreshadowing. In spite of this sin and imperfection, the heroes of the Old Testament by the grace of God, live lives of great intimacy with God that point to the hope of salvation. There are numerous examples of types of foreshadowing that goes beyond even the personalities to include objects and events and institutions and practices that all point to the real source of salvation. That's A. B. Failure. (laughs) Yes, foreshadowing then failure we will never in our own strength be able to rise to such levels of intimate relationship and communion with god we will fail in any attempt to mimic the faith and life of the old testament standards or even many of the saints so you have foreshadowing but you have failure but see you have finished come on finish, finish, finish. Only the Lord Jesus was able to perfectly live out the requirements of God even as revealed in the Old Testament in his life and death on behalf of true believers. So there's challenging. there's failure. But there's the finished work of Christ. And indeed there's faith. Oh, hallelujah. It is only when we are rejoicing in Christ's work alone on our behalf that we will be pleasing to God. Amen. Everything else amounts to pretentious and futile excursions into legalism and antinomianism. Listen, here is the real issue before us. Are we going to read the Old Testament just to get the morale of the stories, and for direction from the laws, so that our lives may be guided accordingly? Is that it? Or, are we going to read it to look for Christ alone? Let us look for Christ alone in the word of God. Look for Jesus alone for it is all about Him look for Christ alone for His work is the only thing that will work (laughs) look for Christ alone for his word is the only thing that will stand it will not return void look for Christ alone for there is no greater treasure in the deep mine of precious things look for Christ alone for if you seek him in the word you will find him look for Christ alone lest you miss the whole point of God's holy revelation So what did we just talk about? The Christological character of scripture. Huh? Let's now look at the convincing credibility of scripture. Hmm. Look at verse 18. For assuredly I say to you, Till heaven earth one pass away. pass away. One job. Or one tittle will by no means pass from the law. Till all is fulfilled. The convincing credibility of scripture. Our Lord Jesus is telling us something significant about the Bible here. It is very important that the word "law" in this verse is not limited to the Decalogue, to the Ten Commandments. This, this is a much broader usage of the word. If you read more carefully, it will be obvious that the word "law" in verse 18 is a synonym of "law and prophets" in verse 17. the the Lord Jesus was not referring to the formal technical law but to the scripture themselves the whole scripture our Lord even quoted Psalm number 82 and verse 6 in John 10 24 Hmm? come on he quoted Psalm 82 and verse 6 in John 10 24 referring to the Psalms as your law the Psalms what that means is that it is difficult to use the word law for the whole scripture. Our Lord's teaching definitely included the Decalogue, including the Declanah. But its primary reference is to the entire Bible. Including the history, the Prophets, the Psalms, the Proverbs as well as the law. As we know it. Our Lord was talking about it all. Now, this marvelous verse 18 gives us a theology of scripture that magnifies its divine origin and absolute authority it tells us that the bible is completely supernatural it is comprehensively superior and that it is canonically secure can we work it out can we work it out what did i say the bible is what completely supernatural what comprehensively superior and what else canonically secure let's deal with them A, B, C, A completely supernatural what we're talking about here is the doctrine of divine inspiration our Lord teaches that until heaven and earth disappear come on you just read it he says until what? heaven and earth disappear that's a powerful use of hyperbole oh heaven and earth disappear he says until heaven and earth disappear not the smallest letter oh not the least stroke of a pen will disappear Amen. the term pass away means the same thing as disappear yes it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than the scripture yes, yes you come. Yeah. You're, I mean, somebody said to you hear what does that mean it means that if the created order can pass away but not the scripture if the scripture is more enduring than the whole created order then it is obvious that the Bible is not a natural book it is not the product of nature no human being come up with this man he used human beings, but they didn't come up with this it is supernatural (laughs) it's not not a human product even though human authors were used of God in his production the scripture transcends the life of heaven and earth that's A. <laughs> B, it's comprehensively superior. Woo! <laughs> what we are talking about here is the plenary inspiration of Scripture. We just mentioned this inspiration, but now it's a plenary inspiration. The word plenary refers to the whole. Amen. Our Lord vividly teaches that even the smallest letter or the least stroke of a pen is not incidental all of it has significance none of the scripture can be broken, none what our Lord Jesus is saying here is that the scriptures are not only divinely inspired but every letter is divinely inspired and every part of a letter is divinely inspired Uh, why is this important well this reminds us when we are tempted to receive the parts of the Bible that Preserve our comfort and reject all the paths that disturb our peace. <laughs> that all of it has equal significance to the primary author who is the Lord God Almighty. Well, God. Are you all hearing what I'm saying to you? Depending on our mood or the circumstances that the providence of God unfolds in our lives, we are often tempted to imagine that we have outgrown certain biblical things. Hmm. Maybe we read a book, you know some people go in and read a book and come back Japanese, right stupidness Maybe we read a book and are convinced that the biblical record is in part obsolete that we have progressed beyond it, our contemporary scholastic self-righteousness has convinced us that we must search and destroy that which is deemed primitive and out of date in the biblical text our Lord Jesus in this text contradicts all of that all of that we will take the entire bible or none of it Amen. did you hear me Amen. <laughs> not a jack article, it's to be ignored take the entire bible or none of it, for it all stands together, it is plenary inspiration oh, yes. so you have A, completely supernatural B1 it's comprehensively superior C, it's canonically secure oh, our Lord makes the case here for the absolute authority of Scripture, the absolute authority. The Word of God is not just true; it will be accomplished. Amen. Man, didn't hear what I said to you. It's not just true. What are you saying? It will be accomplished. Our Lord came to complete the Scripture's implementation with somebody to implement. That's what I'm talking about here. It will be. This would be done in his active and passive obedience, his perfect life, and sacrificial death will be the foundation of the salvation of the elect of every nation. Yeah. The Scripture wants to be implemented, not merely believed. Yeah? The Scripture must be implemented, not merely believed. It must be applauded and appreciated. <laughs> in every sense of the word the handling of the scripture was to be more than literary critical appreciation (laughs) holy scripture represented a divine agenda that must be realized and carried out realized and carried out every part of the scripture whether it it, it is poetry or history or the narratives or the other genres represented in it every part of the scripture is designed by God to exercise authority over all of us Mm. everything about us whether intellectual, emotional or volitional, everything about us must be informed by and ruled by the word of God it defines our identity apart from that you don't even know who you are it declares our significance it describes our security our Lord clearly has a high view of the word of God amen ultimately, every person on this planet will have to decide on the question of the nature of the Bible every person Mm -hmm. we must all admit that there are some biblical passages that seem difficult am I right? there are some biblical passages that seem even disgusting there are some that seem weird fantastic and even primitive our intellectual prejudices demand that we discard much of it even without logical or evidentiary warrant <laughs> but we can't run away <laughs> we cannot run away we must decide we, will we trust the word of God or will we lean unto our own understanding you know the canonical process which involves human authors as well as the compilation of various books into one authoritative anthology is acknowledged here by our Lord as being divinely superintendent and completed he said yes not just the use of human authors, but the collection of them into the Old Testament. Yeah. And then later into the New Testament, that, that Jesus acknowledged here. Yeah. Even though our Lord covered all of, the, all of the scripture in this statement, he was specifically looking at the Old Testament, which at that point had already been through a canonical process. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> our Lord Jesus was looking at the Old Testament. It was already compiled into this anthology Mm. it was already produced using human authors and Jesus is commenting on it and what is he saying? he was teaching that God brought us absolute truth through the process of human authorship as well as the faith community's official recognition of specific writings wow he was fully cognizant of the process by which the Old Testament was produced when he said what he said not one jot or tittle (laughs) shall pass away heaven and earth the whole created order will pass away before that change our Lord's point was that it it was all so meticulously controlled by God that every letter and every word was monumental in the plan of redemption everyone our Lord had no problem with the Father's use of human agents and the faith community in the production of scripture the persons were imperfect but the product was perfect listen if you can get past Genesis 1-1 there is nothing that's too hard for God Amen. you know some people say oh. they read something in the Bible and say ah, that's so fantastic my man, you, how can we be so far? The first verse, if you get past the first verse, how can you be surprised after that? In the beginning, what? God created the heaven and earth. If you get past that, nothing else will surprise you. Oh, it's nihilo. Oh, nothing. This God just called everything into being. And you're wondering if he can produce an infallible scripture. Me a break. How do we read the Bible and yet miss the, the means of powerful living? Our Lord lived out and demonstrated the authority of Scripture. I said, He lived it out. He lived it out. His earthly sojourn was saturated with Scripture. You didn't hear me? I said, Our Lord's earthly life was what? Saturated with Scripture. He used it to answer the devil. He used it to rebuke the Pharisees He used it to instruct His disciples He used it to pray to the Father He used it to confirm His assignments. He used it to direct His prophetic mission He used it to preach to the multitudes He used it to even endure His passion Scripture was His life It, 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 it was always, it, it's written Come on, Jesus was into that I know people are not into that today Yeah? people they want to say well god told me to tell you really jesus was saying it is written mm? Or you will hear that it might fulfill that which was spoken by the prophet saying and many other citations They was come on jesus didn't believe in plagiarism enough you just keep getting the citations all the way through the word of god the word of god that which was written the word of God was always on his mind always on his lips always in his heart Listen, there is no powerful living there is no holy living there is no effective living there is no consequential living that is not rooted in the word of God and carried by the invocation of the word of God what do we say in the most intense stressful and trying moments of our lives is a powerful gauge of what's going on inside of us you didn't hear me I said what you say when you're under pressure is what's really going on inside of you oh you didn't even hear me I think I better say it again whatever you say when you're under deep stress is what's really going on inside of you these are the moments of extremity in which there is nothing left but the unvarnished instinctive visceral expression of our being. What comes out, whether it's profanity or doxology, is the truth about what's going on inside of us. Amen. Come on, man. Amen. You know, some people go on like if um, they get caught off guard, something bad happened and they curse you big bad
1: one
0: Mm -hmm. let me tell you that's what's inside of you the stress you go through tell you what's inside of you it's either going to be profanity or doxology come on now when you're into Jesus and something bad happens you say oh glory to God Lord I know you are after something I don't understand it right now but your name be praised <laughs> I, I often remind the church about the old lady in our church who died of cancer bitter awful suffering it, I was a young pastor it still affects me I still have to talk about it pain and I would go and she squeeze my hand I can't get away and I cried Standing by her bed with the pain from this breast cancer. One time I went to visit her. And the nurse said, Pastor, I don't think she's going to hear you, you know. Um, She's not hearing anybody. So I go in and I hold her hand. I call her name. (laughs) Sister Green. Sister Green, Pastor Jonas. Sister Green abide with me. But I hear some kind of mumbling. I hear some kind of mumbling. So I couldn't open here. See if I can make up what she's trying to say. Sister Green is there singing. Oh, yeah. singing the choruses we sing in church. One after the other. In the midst of the pain. I want you to know something. If you do you're gonna find out what's going on inside of you at the most intense moments of your life. Now, why am I telling you that? Why am I telling you that? <laughs> Listen, folks. It is written in Luke chapter six and verse in verse um, uh, forty-five: A good man out of the treasure of his heart what brings forth good, and an evil man out of the treasure of his heart why? brings forth evil? For out of what? The abundance of the heart, the most speaking Now listen. In the most intense and stressful and trying moments of our Lord's sojourn on this planet, he quoted scripture. (laughs) When Jesus was suffering the worst, he quoted scripture. Nothing has happened in the history of humanity that is worse than what happened on Calvary. I hope you all understand that. (laughs) He took the brunt of the wrath of God on Calvary. Calvary was hell. I said Calvary was hell. Yeah. And when he was going through all of that, what did he do? He quoted Scripture. God. He quoted Scripture. Oh Lord. What did he scream out throughout your deal? Scripture, Scripture, yeah. Scripture. Oh Lord, quoted Psalm 22 and verse 1. My God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. Concerning his thirst on the cross according to John's gospel um, uh, he invoked Psalm 69 and verse 21 they also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink scripture he quoted Psalm 31 and verse 5 into your hands I commit my spirit you see the unadulterated word of God was the very breath that he breathed that's what came out of him when he under stress we need to have the scripture in our hearts the way our Lord Jesus did our Lord did not just face death, he didn't just face suffering and hell and satan he did not just face them he faced them down oh you didn't hear me how did he face them down just meditate on our Lord's quotation of Psalm 22 and verse 1 in his passion my God, my God why have you forsaken me, remember that at first, this might sound like the language of despair and hopelessness, but Perisha thought, thought, think again. Mm. It is actually the opposite. On Calvary, our Lord was experiencing the horrors of hell. So he expressed his pain by uttering the language of covenant intimacy. What did he say? My God! My God! in the midst of his agony he was still calling the father my god, god. Now, you know, you didn't think properly. <laughs> he was still saying my god hallelujah our lord was still able to trust the father love, love the father yeah. obey the father in the worst moment of his life love that love was expressed in the invocation of scripture listen to me if your covenant with god is real You will invoke his word of doxology in the midst of your pain as well as your gain. Come on! if your covenant with God is real you will invoke his word of confession in response to your sin whether in thought, word or deed if your covenant with God is real you will invoke his word of thanksgiving upon any evidence of his grace mercy, love or forbearance if your covenant with God is real you will invoke his word in in all your petitions and supplications for real believers only want for themselves what God desires for them to have finally, the conversion commanded by scripture verses 19 to 20 Hmm? whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called what? least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called what? great in the kingdom of heaven, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds, somebody say exceeds Woo! exceeds the righteousness of these regular Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven.
1: Huh.
0: Our Lord in these verses makes his standards abundantly clear. His standards are eternally abiding, being consistent with his very nature, and he has zero tolerance for anyone who contradicts them. But, these standards are actually higher than What is normally presented by the pretentious Religious elite Somebody say (laughs) higher Our Lord calls persons to be Converted to and to aspire to A righteousness That is a dramatic paradigm shift In how our relationship with God Is expressed, how it is lived out And how it is maintained In verse 20 Our Lord spells out what a Christocentric reading of scripture and a radical commitment to the text of scripture will lead where will it lead it will cause us to exceed Mm -hmm. you see the word exceed in the text (laughs) it will cause us to go beyond Mm -hmm. (laughs) it will cause us to surpass the normally expected conventions of religion and spirituality all what's going on in religion and spirituality. When you get this right, you go beyond that. <laughs> you surpass it. You exceed it. It renders the religious status quo in every generation to be basically irrelevant. It redefines what it means to be godly. You know, on the face of it, it appears, right? say it with me now, on the face of it, it appears that the Lord Jesus is disqualifying most people from a meaningful relationship with God <laughs> he appears to be calling us to be most more qualified than the most qualified, qualified now, come on listen to me you, you realize who were the most qualified in Israel Is as far as so everybody listening to this is saying wait I must be more qualified than the most qualified <laughs> this is how, how they are hearing it come on this is not the case our Lord's point was that if we are in the kingdom of God if the gospel has come into our lives it will take us into a realm way beyond mere religiosity you're going to exceed religiosity you're going to exceed it you're going to go beyond it you surpass it we're not against religion we're not against religion itself because James one twenty seven distinguishes distinguishes between pure religion and fake empty religion, isn't it? Yeah, I hate it when people say, "I am not for religion; I'm for relationship." That's because you're ignorant. You're ignorant person. Okay, not wrong with religion. Read James one twenty seven. There, there is there is pure religion and undefiled, and then there is, there is there is fake religion. Okay, the religion. However, what? The The religiosity of the Pharisees made them give to the poor to be honored by men. (laughs) Matthew 6 2. (laughs) It made them pray in order that they may show off and impress others with their oratorical wits and their eloquent words, erroneously linking verbosity with spiritual efficacy. (laughs) Matthew 6 7. Hmm? The Pharisees read the Bible through the lens of personal promotion and ambition. It was all about them. Their outward image of godliness was all fake. They were busy with religion trying to make a name for themselves. Our Lord's analysis comes to us with abundant clarity for ultimately, those who we thought were the most qualified did not even qualify the least. Come on man, nothing worse than when you finish your race to find out. You were disqualified before the race began. (laughs) Here is why. The Pharisees were focused on demonstrating their righteousness from outside in. Would somebody say outside in? Outside in. Yeah. yeah. They were doing their so-called works of righteousness on the outside because they were insecure on the inside. They needed the approval of men. That, that, That was all that mattered to them. They were suspicious of God. And I hope you're not today. They were suspicious of God. They could not conceive of a loving God a God who is gracious to sinners they were determined to solve their sin and guilt problems with their own devices their own religious prescriptions they boasted in a moral excellence that was rooted in their own evaluation system, they were doing everything they could on the outside with the hope of filling up the emptiness on the inside but listen to me, biblical Christianity works in the opposite manner It works from the inside out. Will somebody say inside out? It works from the inside out. When our Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he made the body clear that God was to be addressed how? Father, come on, you you read Matthew 6, Hmm? in verse 8 and 9. Father, it is clear that the enemy of our soul has slandered our God. Most people are suspicious of God's nature they don't understand the father the concept of his magnanimous grace and extravagant mercy does not make any sense to them (laughs) I did all that and I don't have to fix it it doesn't make any sense however our heavenly father is seriously a loving God does anybody hear what I'm talking about he's a loving God we need to remember our value to Him by meditating on the active and passive obedience of Christ, the Savior's sinless life of righteousness that is imputed to sinners, as well as His atoning sacrifice on their behalf on the cross of Calvary. What our Lord Jesus is saying is, please don't wear yourself out. Just that. He doesn't demand exertion and busyness to produce more godliness and more righteousness. has already been worn out and abused for us come on man (laughs) he was already worn out and abused for us he already took the brunt of the cosmic wrath of god paying the infinite debt of sinners to end the anxiety-laden life of pretentious religion we need to understand what god has done for us and just who we are in him it is then that the appropriate conduct just flows out it's inside out it's not outside in anything else produces a pretentious religiosity and a superficial posturing this is what makes people grumpy enough you know? hope you're not grumpy today you know? this is what makes people grumpy false religion Amen. this is what makes people self righteous and judgmental However, when we understand God's grace and mercy and love and forbearance, our joy surpasses anything the Pharisees can experience. It goes beyond, it exceeds, it exceeds and goes beyond formal liturgies, it exceeds and goes beyond formal ceremonies, it exceeds and goes beyond ethical checklists, it produces an intimacy with God in Christ when we consider that the Lord Jesus as one whom having not seen we love. Where, oh where, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? First Peter 1 8. Though now we do not see him, yet believing we rejoice with joy inexpressible express, and full of glory. You know want to is the King James, you know? Joy <laughs> unspeakable and full of glory. Hallelujah. You know, we need to gaze upon and meditate on the beauty of Christ's personal work that we may truly experience his conversion, this transformation, this paradigm shift. Hmm? The, the apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, 10 12 concerning the glorious gospel, this redemptive word of God that, is, that it baffled the prophets for centuries and invited the curiosity of even the angelic host. Come on, you did hear me if you look at 1 Peter 1, 12 these, thing, these were things which angels decide, desired to look into Amen. the scholars of the Greek text have advised that uh, this is a, this is referring to an angelic obsession and super desire oh my God. come on now <laughs> the angels literally never got tired into looking into the wonders of God the gospel, that's what he's saying here uh, somebody did a song like that when I was a boy you know angels never knew the joy that is mine for the blood had never washed their sins away so obviously they're curious obviously they're curious that's what the Paul is telling us here huh? <laughs> literally never got tired of looking into the wonders of the gospel the wonders were endless, infinite, beautiful, new and bottomless it was more than a religious formula more than a priestly prayer prescription more than absolution more than a meticulous ritual more than a memorized liturgy it was more than a doctrinal debate it was far more Lord, to God. if angels are never tired of gazing at or pondering the glories of the gospel shouldn't this pique our interest? No what did they see that we have not seen angelic focus should cause us to pay attention (laughs) this gospel must really be the answer to our sin and guilt the dangers are trying to destroy us this gospel must really be all we need we need to just see what the angels are seeing if we are on a serious quest for lasting peace and authentic joy it will only be through gazing on the gospel, gazing on God's redemptive word. It is—it's the only antidote to the turmoil in our lives. We need angelic curiosity. We need—we must longingly look at Christ and the gospel until it has changed us. Whether we are bitter, some of us are. Whether we are tempted, whether we are incessantly bored. Some people boredom is what's driving them crazy. You know? Hmm? Where we are depressed or uncontrollably angry, whatever ails us, we need to focus on, meditate on, gaze on, zero in on God's redemptive word until it changes us. Oh it is the gospel, God's redemptive word, that will cause, according to one great scholar, it will cause our joys to weep and our grief to sing. you need a man, he says, "When you gaze on God's redemptive word, He says you see, will cause your your joys to weep and your grief to sing." Listen, it's the gospel alone that brings us to the end of ourselves. Why? For without it, we're full of ourselves. It's the gospel alone that makes us honest about our condition, for our sin is far worse than we like to admit. It's the gospel alone that makes us courageous enough to show our face, for without it we have to hide our face in shame and disgrace. It's the gospel alone that makes us understand that we are truly loved, for without it we are desperately begging everywhere else for approval. It's the gospel alone that makes us experience true peace, for without it our lives are war zones of frustration and stress. Thank God for the glorious gospel of his free and sovereign grace. Okay, quick words of application application, biblical confessionalism having established all of the above concerning the enduring nature of the word of God is there a biblical basis for the historical use of confessions of faith and catechisms and creeds to establish and maintain biblical integrity in the local church why does the church often call members to subscribe to a document outside the bible to answer that question I will have Highlight several presuppositions behind and implications from the New Testament as it relates to false teachers and the proper use of doctrine. I'll say three things and I'll sit down. One, the problem. The problem is invalid interpretation. Come on. What's the problem? Invalid interpretations. Listen, the authority of Scripture is not what false teachers often deny you didn't hear me false teachers now come in here and say we don't believe in the authority of scripture they're not going to say that that's not what they deny in the apostle Paul's pastoral epistles we do not see any false teachers debating him about the authority of scripture rather the authority of scripture is assumed by both parties Mm -hmm. the apostles are branded and the false teachers affirmed it too. So we have a problem? <laughs> the Apostle Paul makes clear that by confessing invalid interpretations, those false teachers have swerved from the faith of the Bible. First Timothy 1 19 and 20, what, it says? what does it say? Hmm? What does it say?
1: <laughs>
0: Having faith and a good conscience. Which some have what? Rejected concerning the faith have what? Verse 20. Of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander whom I deliver to Satan that they may what? Yeah. Learn not to blaspheme. Go to chapter 4 now. first Timothy chapter um, 4 and look at verses 1, 2 and 3. 1 hmm? Timothy 4 1, 2 and 3. Hmm? Now the spirit expressly says that what? In the latter time some will do what? Depart from the face, giving you to what? What else? Okay. Go on. Speaking what? Lies in hypocrisy, having their what? Unconscious, conscience sin with a hot iron. Verse three Forbidding to marry. Come on, I'll give a doctrine company here. Forbidding to marry what else? And command them abstain from those which God created. To be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Ah. Mm. Go to 2nd Timothy now, chapter 2, verses 15 to 18. 2nd Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 to 18. I, I'm not gonna be much longer. Okay? Where am I? 2nd Timothy what? 2, 15 to 18. We say that. Be diligent to what? Present yourselves, approved to God, a, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. What? Rightly, Rightly dividing the word of truth. That means you can wrongly divide the word of truth. So you want okay, go on, next verse. But some do what profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Go on. And their message will spread like against oh, yeah. Armenians. Believers are he's pulling up on you know, he calling him out. he's calling him out but, uh, that's verse 17 go to verse 18 now uh, who have what straight, straight from the truth saying that the resurrection is already past oh and they overthrow the faith of some ok, the Apostle Paul assumes that there are false interpretations of scripture Amen. plain out that's an underlying assumption There are valid and invalid interpretations of scripture. Two people standing up and both saying the scripture is authoritative, but he's saying, "Look, wait, wait, wait! There are valid and invalid interpretations of scripture." So, in verse fifteen of First Timothy two, he's telling us to rightly handle, rightly handle, rightly divide, and he's telling us To avoid leading people into further ungodliness by contorting scripture in an unbiblical way. That's what verse 16 is telling you. There are right and wrong ways to read scripture, which is a claim that many postmodern sensibilities will find distasteful. (laughs) But there are right and wrong ways Uh, to to what? (laughs) To, To read scripture. Okay. Number one was what? Huh? the problem invalid interpretation number 2 the solution confessional clarification number 2 is what Confession. confessional clarification confessions help clarify biblical truths by affirming and negating the, the validity of various interpretations of scripture confessions are pastoral work <laughs> you're not a pastor if you're not protecting your people you have to look your people are, are might not get to Bible, Bible college they might not get to seminary they can't do all the exegesis and hermeneutics that you are accustomed to do some, listen to me I'm an educator right and you're not going to pass any math tests unless you show me you're working I don't just want the answer you're going to copy that I want to see how that there. Correct. That's the right way to go, huh? But let me tell you something. In real life, a lot of people are not going to do the work, and they just want the answer. Confessions is cutting to the chase. A lot of people and confessions are helping you to pastor rock because a lot of people are going to trust the pastor. And you need a pastor who doesn't trust himself come on, that's what good solid confessions do, it helps you have the collective wisdom of the legacy of faith, and in our case, in the Reformed tradition, we have great confessions like the Westminster, and the second London confession of 1689 mark you all of American Baptist Christianity, all of them were rooted in the 1689 they didn't call it that, they took it and called it the Holy Confession, (laughs) Uh-huh. But all of them, whether American Baptists or Southern Baptists or National Baptists, everybody was Calvinistic. Yes. And then, of course, as the years went by, <laughs> people started to rewrite, 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 rewrite. Thank God for the modern movement to say, listen, if it was true back then, it's still true right now. We're not rewriting anything, <laughs> we're sticking to the old faith, the old legacy of faith that has been passed on to us. So, please understand what's going on. Confessions help churches teach their members how to both spot and avoid those invalid interpretations about which the Apostle Paul warned his readers. For example, the Apostle urged the church in Thessalonica. Where am I now? 2 Thessalonians 2 15. What did he say to them? Therefore, brethren, stand fast and what? Hold the traditions which you were taught. Whether by what? Word. Or oh, our episode Okay? What was he saying? The apostle had given them a theological interpretive framework and a body of doctrine in the form of his written and spoken tradition. He said, I'm writing, but I'm speaking. False teachers are crafty, you know? they're cunning. They will use biblical language in inventive ways to undermine the very truth that they claim to defend. Confessions allow for the collective wisdom of the church throughout history to be used to edify the saints with biblical truth, to expose the false teaching and to protect against heresy. Your members are not going to do all the research. You need to hand them a body of divinity that will come to the chest. That's if you want to protect them. And what good shepherd doesn't want to protect the sheep. If something is new, let me tell you something it's probably not true you didn't hear me man <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> we need to stand on the all time religion how many say that's going enough to me I'm not changing anything I don't want another new, certain foolishness confessions anchor the church in God's unchanging truth, did somebody say anchor unless you're confessionally anchored you're going to jerk. Amen. you need to be anchored alright number 3 the example and I think this is where some people um, need it the most so number 1 is what? the problem, the problem. what's the problem? The invalid. invalid interpretation because what? both the godly and the ungodly are claiming to do what? the scripture is authoritative already. yeah the scripture is authoritative but you have invalid interpretation number 2 is what? the solution was you need to be anchored you need to anchor the people they're not going to do work in. you hope they get sanctified as they keep coming to church and they will grow because how many can say I'm not what I ought to be but thank God I'm not what I used to be Amen. but it's going to take time in the meantime wait do. they still need answers when you go doctor you go doctor to study medicine I want me here in listen to me <laughs> You go to the doctor for him, you pay him to cut to the test. <laughs> tell me what wrong with me. And tell me what to fix it. Look, confessions are cutting to the test. You need to put a body the to your people. Sometimes you have to take a trip. And they need some answers. <laughs> how the, the people saying this pastor, oh, what happened? They're not stopping you. He said, go, open your confession. Read chapter 1, paragraph 1, 4 you see exactly what this is I want to come back, we'll study the Bible carefully. We'll, do, we'll do the work here when I come back but that's the answer <laughs> you need to get so now number three we're going now to the example because the example is in the scripture itself convincing the faith with a summary of biblical doctrine follows biblical example Several passages in Scripture offer us examples of the early church's confessional summaries that were crafted to clarify valid and invalid interpretations of biblical truth. (laughs) So, even in the Scripture, you see confessionalism going on. For example, in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse three through five, the Apostle Paul declared what? Wait, wait, wait! Let's read it. Let's read it. Let's read it. Let's read it. it. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. What? That Christ died for our sins. Well, well, that he was buried, and that he rose again. What? The third day? According to the scriptures. Huh? Verse 5. And that he was seen by Thomas. Then by the twelve. That's a confession idea. That's an early church confession. Mmm or go over to 1st Timothy number chapter 3 verse 16 you see another example 1st Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 let's read it hmm? and without controversy great is the mystery of Godliness God was manifested in the flesh you heard that? who was manifested in the flesh? I oh, do you talk with this missus? anyway, I mean, is he talking about? <laughs> and suddenly you get confused what do you mean that God is a man? That's not in the Bible. Oh, read it. There's a confession of faith right there God was manifest in the flesh. What? Justified yes. in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. These are early creedal statements. These are creedal statements. Huh? <laughs> but there are also other creedal fragments. Can you read some? Go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. (laughs) Let's read that. (laughs) Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Who? What? Being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What else? But made himself of no reputation, taking home one servant, and becoming in the likeness of men, and being fashioned, found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Go on, go on. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth, verse eleven, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That's a confessional fragment. That's a confessional fragment. Hmm? Let me give you another one. First Peter chapter three and verse eighteen. Hmm, that's a nice little fragment there. Huh? Huh? First Peter three and verse eighteen. What does you say? For Christ also suffered once to sin the just. All unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. It's a confessional problem. We'll go to First John chapter two, verse twenty-two, and even chapter five and verse one. First John chapter two, verse twenty-two. That's, that's Some other passages, you know. he <laughs> um, uh, says that? Who is a liar but he who uh, denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist who denies the father and the son my goodness whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is what? born of God and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him okay um listen, these are fragments the right of Hebrews instructs us to hold fast our what? confession and the confession of our hope go to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 hmm so these people had a confession until you hold fast to it. What, what he says, Seeing then that we have what? A great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, Son of God. Let us what? Hold fast our confession. Go to chapter 10 and verse 20, 23. Chapter 10 and verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. <laughs> I could go on. Thus, we see that having a confession of faith helps clarify what interpretations of Scripture are valid and what are invalid based on the collected wisdom found in church history. Having creeds and confessions also follows several examples we have found in Scripture of the early church. Confessions enable congregations to catechize their congregations while at the same time provide an apologetic against false doctrine in closing, boy i gone too long I've gone too long But y'all you you alright? y'all alright? one more minute two, two maybe three in closing, in closing, listen to me I must make it known once again that I am grateful for the scriptures anybody else? I'm grateful for its Christological character For it is ultimately the story of my redeemer. I'm grateful for its convincing credibility. For its impeachable record gives me confidence in its counsel. I'm grateful for the conversion that it commands. For it transforms sinners from the inside out. Beloved, uh, we should not build anything without a firm foundation. This is an axiom of life. Foundations speak of integrity, durability, and stability. Time spent on foundations is never time wasted. However, some foundations are still shaky, untrustworthy, having been compromised by one thing or another. Those who trust in them are disappointed by the fierce storm or the sudden earthquake. Is there a foundation in our lives that we can count on? listen I have come here to tell you that there is yes there is the hymn writer has helped me he wrote how firm a foundation these saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word what more can he say than to you he has said to you who for refuge to Jesus has fled. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Glory to God. I'm not groping in darkness for I have the lamp to my feet and the light to my path. I'm not confused concerning my future for I have the scripture. In the scripture a am more sure word of prophecy. I'm not defeated because I've hidden his word in my heart that I might not sin against him and I'm not falling for the counsel of the ungodly. For my delight is in the law of the Lord and we will do what many on it. Why? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is, why The power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Amen. Amen.